Hey there, we're so close to a thousand reviews on iTunes. So please, if you enjoy this show, and if you could take one quick moment, click the link below or search for the Darkness Prevails podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. Thanks so much. Wake up to a country breakfast. Head out to the fields to work and be your own boss. Finish off the night fishing as the sun sets. Then get eaten by a wendigo. Oh yeah, living on the farm is the life. But you can't deny that these rustic places can be the most creepy places in all of America, or any country for that matter. So let's see just how creepy farms can get with these allegedly true horror stories from farms. If you want your story narrated, all you gotta do is share it with us at darkstories.org. Chased Down the Back Roads from Bouncing Brick This took place in the spring of 2018. I live in the farmlands of Wisconsin and there are trees everywhere. I was with a friend of mine at her house out in a rural village. We were bored, so despite the looming threat of rain, we decided to go for a walk down some of the back roads. There are houses here and there down those roads, but it's mostly just fields of cows, horses, and crops. We headed south down one of these roads, and after walking for about 10 minutes, we came across a dump site in the woods. It was a place where people dumped crap that they didn't want anymore, filling up this ditch. We found this to be odd because my friend that lived in that area her whole life never knew this was here, had never heard or seen it before. There was a bit of everything dumped into that ditch. Old televisions, new shoes, even an old Glock and a trailer. Even stranger, I decided to poke around one of the spots that wasn't so far down, and I found deer legs. Not the whole body, but just the legs from the knee down. In fact, there had to have been eight or nine individual legs like that. This was creepy. We decided to check this out more on the way back. We kept walking south down the road. We wound up talking about supernatural things, ghost stories, and the like, only making us more spooked. Eventually, we had to turn back. A few minutes into the journey back, though, we heard something that gave us pause, something that sent chills down my spine. It was the sound of a little girl giggling coming from the forest nearby. After a moment of being creeped out, we decided that it was just a nearby family, just a little girl playing outside. When I pointed it out to my friend, she told me that she knew everyone in this area, and we were over a mile away from anyone. Nobody was supposed to live out here. A girl of that age should not be alone this far out either. We decided to start power walking then, ready to get back home fast. We were beginning to near the dump site again, and I had the worst feeling coming over me. I wanted to run then and there. The sun was getting close to setting, and the darkness of the trees petrified me. My friend, however, slowed her pace and walked to the edge of the ditch, staring down into the trees. I heard sticks beginning to crack from within the forest, 
there was someone out there. We need to go, I said to my friend as I ran up to her and grabbed her arm. Please, let's just leave. But she was frozen, staring in the direction of those noises. After a moment, the location of the sounds shifted. Whatever was there, it was huge, snapping branches with ease. It sounded like it was in the trees. As the thing drew closer, this seemed to snap her out of her trance. She grabbed my arm and yelled for us to run. We sprinted down that old road, hearing the snapping keep pace with us for a solid half mile until we reached the edge of the village. We got back to her house and locked ourselves in her room. I had to go home that night, and I wish that that was the end of it. I live in the country just outside of a different village. My house is bordered on one side by a farm, and on the other three by fields and woods. That night I heard scratching on the siding beneath my window. I checked to see if there was anything there, but by the time I made it to the window the sound stopped and there was nothing and no one outside. Over time, it got worse. It wasn't just scratching, but each night, something would throw itself against my window randomly throughout the night, never failing to horrify me and make me jump. I still hear it every once in a while. Honestly, I can't wait to move, because when I'm home alone out here, I fear for my own life. Goatman in the Ozarks, from Daniel B. This encounter took place during Easter weekend. My dad wanted to spend Easter with my grandmother, who lived by herself on a small cottage on some farmlands in the Ozarks in Missouri. Her place was surrounded by a large forest. Whenever we'd go visit my grandma, she would always tell us about the strange noises she would hear coming from the forest at night. We got there one late afternoon on Saturday, and me and my dad shared a few drinks together before we all headed off to bed to get ready for the egg hunt the next day. Around one in the morning, I woke up to use the bathroom. I headed downstairs to do my business. After I finished, I made my way back from the bathroom before stopping as I heard my dad call out for me. I went in the direction of the voice and noticed that it sounded like it was coming from outside. I began to make my way to the front door before noticing something that stopped me right in my tracks. There on the couch was my dad, who had a few empty beer bottles on the floor around him, but was very much blacked out. Despite this, the voice of my father came again, calling out my name. It sounded off somehow. It sounded like someone recorded my dad's voice and played it over with a modifier to it. It sounded so weird and distorted, it was coming from right outside. I began to slowly approach the front door before stopping. I then went to go take a peek out the window just to be sure what it was. All I saw was pitch darkness, except for the faint outline of a figure standing by the door. At first, I thought it was a man, but then I saw that this thing had horns, like some kind of demon. I'm not sure how, but I swear this thing was probably looking at me, 
that I saw the figure shift before a different voice came from the same source. Let me in, Daniel. At that point, I ran throughout the house making sure everything was locked down tight. I then ran into my room, covering myself in a blanket, and I shivered until sunrise. I'd never been so scared again. Easter came and went, although the whole time I felt as if I was being watched. When we left my grandmother's house, there in the tree line I saw something. It was standing seven feet tall, and it was covered in a mess of dirty black hair. Though it was built like a man, it definitely was not one, because men don't have heads like goats. I haven't told my family of this encounter, but I'm just glad that I hadn't opened that door, because if I did, I wouldn't be here to write this. I'm still filled with concern for my grandma, because I wonder if that thing has been haunting her this whole time. Was that thing the source of the strange noises she's been trying to warn us about? The Bones from the Fire, from SP. I live in a town in Scotland. It's mostly urban, but we do have a good amount of rural areas. This story happened when I was in primary school. I was nine years old. I lived in a house on farmland, out in the rural areas of town. These countryside regions had loads of abandoned places, which were great spots for my friends and I to go hang out at. It was summer break, and me and my two friends, T and E, decided we should go explore the old abandoned graveyard. We got some food and drinks from a shop, then we went down the long narrow road that led to the old gravesite. We passed several farms and joked about the smell of cow manure coming from E, and were making other dumb nine-year-old jokes until we made it to the graveyard. Once we were there, we all stopped the constant joking due to us being scared, but not wanting to admit it. The graves were covered in moss, with many of the names covered and unreadable. Bottles and cans of empty drinks lay all over the graveyard. The trees made the entire area darker. We climbed up onto the old broken-down small building and sat there eating our food and drinks. After a few minutes of laughing together, T stopped and began to stare outside of the graveyard towards the open area near the river. I then looked towards where he was looking. I saw a group of people around a fire. We could slowly start to hear them shouting things. Then a car came up to the graveyard and parked just outside, but no one got out. The three of us decided we would take another way back, then ran up the hills that would take us eventually back to the houses once we ran far enough. While we were running, we could still hear those people shouting, and then someone screamed, screamed like they were being killed. I didn't look back, but T did. Apparently, the group of people saw him and shouted at him to come down to help them. We just kept running after this. After half an hour, we were near the houses and a store, but were still on the farmland. 
I tripped over as I'd been running too long, which was actually good luck because when T passed me still running, he ran into an electric fence that we hadn't seen. E had to pull him off of it. T was left with a pretty bad scar, a reminder of this terrifying event. But it wasn't over, because this fence was blocking our path back home, so we had to retrace our steps back. When we got to where that group of people were, we were careful and quiet, but we saw that they were gone. Relieved, we began to walk through their campsite, just ready to be out of there. E saw that the campfire was put out and noticed something in it. He ran over and then shouted at us. He told us to follow him to see what was in the campfire. When I did, I was terrified. There were human bones among the ashes. We ran as fast as we could out of there, in complete disbelief and terror at what we'd just seen, hoping that it was fake, hoping that this was a prank on us. I know we should have told someone, but we didn't, and to this day, it remained our little secret. The Odd One from Joanna. I'm a 20-year-old girl striving to become a vet assistant and to hopefully have my own vet one day. I've always loved animals. However, they've made for some of the most unsettling encounters that I've ever had in my entire life, and these are just a handful of my experiences. I'm going to begin with one of the stories I remember the most fondly because it's also the one of how I got my beloved cat, Liv. She didn't have the best start into life, but I believe she is now better off with me. Anyway, we live on the countryside, a good two hours away from the bigger cities. Even for a small town, we're pretty far out there and don't have a lot going for us. My cat was a pretty much feral barn cat on a farm not more than 15 minutes away from my flat. As I said, it was a very small countryside town, pretty much surrounded by farmland and barnyards. It was a disgustingly hot day. I was drenched in sweat, and the blinding sun was beginning to annoy the crap out of me. But still, I was excited to have my first ever cat. I was practically ecstatic when we arrived on the barn that actually had cats, not cats, but kittens, and I would be taking one home. I immediately saw them. I instantly had my eyes on a tiny black cat that was frail and sickly looking, sitting off to the far left. It was dirtier than all the other cats, and much smaller. That was my poor Liv back then. She was the same age as all the other cats, but because of how sick she was, they all looked double her size. I was told I shouldn't take her because of that. I was told that she was the runt and would probably die, but I was already smitten. Besides, I would never leave behind a sick kitten like that, especially if I had the chance to rescue one. After some pleas and a brief moment of giving my mother my most convincing puppy dog eyes, it was decided I was allowed to take Liv home with me. Naturally, with a bit of help of the landowner's employees, I went to catch her, or well, participate in catching her. 
I say this because immediately, as soon as I drew closer, I was taken aback when I saw the first adult cat around. The first thing that I immediately thought of seeing this cat was how oddly focused it was on my live, not looking away from her once. Not to mention the fact that the other cats had a response to me, either running away, watching me, or just coming towards me. But this one didn't care that I existed at all. But that was by far not the only weird thing about this animal. I practically grew up with animals, knowing them like the back of my hand. Its body was disproportionate, way too large, and had crooked claws on the front paws. Everything about this cat screamed creepy. Its fur looked like nothing I'd seen on a cat. It was so dry like straw. My animal-loving self had never not wanted to touch an animal, up until that very moment. As the cat continued to fixate on Liv and ignore me, I'd spent enough time on observing it to miss that they had caught Liv. I noticed this because Liv let out a hiss so ferocious and a scream so loud that the odd cat thing jumped off the fence it had been perched on, moving in a way unlike any cat I'd ever seen. There was no graceful leap, no movement at all like a normal cat jumping from a high place. Imagine picking up a cat and dropping it to your feet, how it would land all awkwardly on all fours with a deep thud. That's pretty much what this was like. After this, it began to trudge menacingly after the person that carried Liv. It was creepy to watch it walk like that. It didn't even have a tail, not a stub either like the thing did not even have a tailbone. I wanted to feel bad for this cat. But the way it acted, the way it looked, it seemed so unrealistic and scary looking that I was sure that the heat was just getting to me. My mother called me over when they finally managed to put Liv into the transport box, but I was so fascinated with this hideous cat or non-cat thing that I slow walked my way over alongside it. Its attention was still entirely on Liv, even as she was long out of sight. Sitting barely a meter away from the box, the odd cat opened its mouth disturbingly wide, then sat motionless, none of its body moving at all, as the sound of an odd yowl came out of it. There was no twitch, no bending of its whiskers, no blinking. Just a noise that sounded more like a person trying to pronounce a yowl than a cat actually doing it. I crouched down alongside it in an attempt to get it to meow again for me, but the one time I got it to look at me, the only time, it narrowed its eyebrows the way a person would to scowl at someone. I'd never seen such hatred in an animal's face. It was so human-like that it frightened me. I was almost happy to leave that place, if only to get away from that weird cat. The Scariest Night of My Life From Michael I live in the Great Northwest, full of long, very expansive forests, home to creatures and animals yet to be discovered. Washington State, to be exact. The summer before sophomore year, I attended a local church camp of all places. I'd always been religious, 
This camp was a nice, well-built-up camp with lots of options to choose from for daily activities. After a long day, me and a few of my cabin mates began talking. They wanted to see the edge of the property, 10 miles away from the entrance. The camp had a large lake on one side and was basically farmland everywhere else, save for where the entrance was, where there was a large, wealthy neighborhood. I agreed hesitantly to join them on their journey. It was late that night when we left, around 11.30. We used our phone flashlights to see around as we began walking. I was getting nervous fast, knowing we should either be close to getting there or already there. It wasn't too far of a walk from the cabins to a lamppost that marked the edge of the property. Shortly after we rounded the last bend of the trail smoothly, without any hesitations or holdups, we came to a rock overhang that once I laid eyes upon it, I began to feel an overwhelming feeling of terror and anxiety, feelings that I could not place. The other boys chose a spot for us to rest at. I should mention here it was me and four other guys. As we reached this large rock to sit on, our phones and flashlights all died simultaneously. We were all confused and startled by this. A few of them looked to me, asking what we should do. I shrugged. We rested for a while, but one of my friends, Sam, randomly got up without saying a word, walked over to the edge of the trail. He grunted as he picked up a medium-sized rock, then threw it in our direction. I got up immediately as the other boys seemed angry and frightened. What the hell, man? I said to him. But his face was emotionless. He didn't look back at me as he said, I don't know what's wrong with me. I didn't mean to do that. My heart sank at hearing his voice. We all talked anxiously after that, trying to dismiss the obvious tension in the air. Let's just keep walking, Jack said. So we all agreed and pressed on. Well, I didn't agree. I wanted to head back. In my mind, things could only get worse from there. As we carried on, I was at the back of the group. When I looked up, I counted four figures, five in the group as usual. Some time passed, and I looked up again. I wasn't trying to count the figures in the group, but I did anyway, sort of like how you see a sign and instantly read what's on it. But when I counted them again, there were five figures in front of us. Our group was now made up of six people. When I rubbed my eyes, confused, and looked back, there were now six people in front of me. A group of seven. There were two unknown figures in our group walking amongst us, and the other boys hadn't even noticed. This kept happening as more figures appeared until there was a group of about 20 of us in all, and I swear that I could hear them making low and raspy whispering noises around us. I was horrified, but too scared to leave the group. Instead, I wanted to remain calm, trying to build up the courage to tell my friends, but I couldn't bring myself to, because it didn't make sense that the boys hadn't seen these other figures. It made me scared that if I did say something, Every one of them would turn around, and I wouldn't see a familiar face among them. 
These figures followed us all the way until the chapel was in sight. As soon as we came close to it, they seemed to just fade away. So did their whispers and hisses. When they were gone completely, I ran back full speed to the cabins, face tearing up. The boys ran after me, checking if I was okay, but I told them that they wouldn't understand. When we came back, the counselor and camp leader were standing there waiting for us. They were furious until they saw my current state of despair. I pulled them outside and out of earshot of any of the other cabins. I quickly explained everything through sobs, apologizing for agreeing to assist with the boys' mischief. They dismissed the mistake and told me to follow them. They led me to my feared destination. According to the counselor's phone that I'd caught a glimpse of, it was 3am. The worst possible time to be out here. We walked past the chapel into the deeper part of the trails with flashlights. They told me that we were going to pray. I remember closing my eyes, hearing powerful piercing whispers. Whispers similar to the ones before, but angrier. I squeezed my eyes touch shite hoping it would all go away. When I opened them, I was in the nurse's cabin. What had happened? She was telling me that breakfast was ready in the mess hall. But first, I wanted to know what happened to me. I was told that I'd been carried back from the woods after passing out while my counselor and camp leader had prayed. I still don't know what was up with that land. I have no idea what those strange whispering entities were or what they wanted, but I feared them. I feared them more than anything else. Even as we prayed with the power of our own God, either them or my fear forced me to black out. They seemed dangerous to me, and I wished that I had never gone out there. Those boys and I never talked again, never saw each other outside of camp. And I haven't been back to that camp ever since. We weren't really that close of friends, so I guess it was natural. This was my most horrifying experience. In all my life, I had never been so scared. I have no explanation to this. And even if it wasn't paranormal, all those figures in the woods, it's still very unsettling. Fresh, farm-grown food is great. A farmer's lifestyle will keep you in shape and active. Farming provides sustenance to everyone. So, farming is pretty great. Well, I'll accept for the part where the land is undoubtedly haunted and riddled with monsters and creeps. That part is easy to forget until you wake up in the middle of a cornfield with something chewing on your toes. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode of Darkness Prevails, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you've got a story that you want narrated on the show, start by sending it to us at darkstories.org. If you want to support the show, check the links below to donate via Patreon or get yourself some of my merchandise. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous video about seven real encounters with Chupacabra. Very Rare says, about time you made a video on this creature. Thank you. 
Well, I actually made a video on this creature a long time ago. Don't forget I got a massive backlog of videos and stories you can listen to. It would take you a long time to get through them all, but I definitely think you'd have a good time, so check it out. Cody Farmer Riley says, Backwoods Stories. Cody, I literally just did a video on deep woods stories. Those are kind of the same thing, not entirely depending on how you're using it, but they're very similar. I'll cover the backwoods soon, just not too soon, if that makes sense. Carbonated Rin X says, Yes, chupacabras make my spine tingle. Well, when you let them drink your spinal fluid, they'll usually make your spine tingle until you lose all nervous sensation in your body. Then, no more tingles. Homer McIe says, Thanks, darkness. Under a tornado watch, this brings me hope. Well, at least you can die in peace. Living near Tornado Alley, like myself, we get tornado warnings all the time. Once you hear those sirens go off, it's like, huh, guess I'll die today. So I hope you're alive, my friend. Emily Schollenberger says, My daughter is so happy to see this. She would love a shout out. Her name is Alayla. Well, that's a pretty name you got, Alayla, and I hope you hear this shout out. Also, the name Schollenberger makes me oddly hungry. It's probably the burger part. Yum. Chelsea Powers says, Woohoo, trying to get up there in the top. Love your videos, Darkness. Well, Chelsea, you've got the powers because you're up here in the comments today. Oh, I cringed the entire time I said that, but congrats. Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. Thanks for watching or listening. More scary stories are on the way soon, so stay tuned. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate. They're the bestest people. Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy because this world is a strange one. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer, Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play, with my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Don't be late for the bus stop. 
You wouldn't want to be late to work or school, would you? So grab your change, ticket, or token, and hop on the bus, surrounding yourself with strangers often shoulder to shoulder. Immerse yourself in skin-to-skin -skin contact with dozens of other people you probably shouldn't trust. And now repeat this every day for the rest of your working life. Sounds like a great time. Wait a minute. We're supposed to be talking about creepy things at bus stops and on the bus, not the monotonous horror that is often life. <laughs> well, then enjoy the following stories. If you have a creepy story of your own, you can share it with us for a chance to have it narrated at darkstories.org. Don't Ride the Bus Alone at Night from M. Jean Romeo. When I was young, 20 years old, I was working a crappy retail job. Usually, I'd have to work one of two shifts, either 8 to 5.30 p.m. or noon to 8.15 p.m. on a rotating basis. One particular day, I was working the dreaded 12 to 8 p.m. shift. The store had been locked up for the night, and I bade my colleagues goodnight, heading to the bus stop. The bus stop was 15 minutes away by foot. It was a cold night, so I all but power walked down the street. I made it to the bus stop and plopped myself down on the bench. I pulled my phone out of my pocket to check the time. 8.32 p.m. I sighed in relief. The bus was due to arrive at 8.35, so it shouldn't be long until I got back in the warmth. A couple of minutes later, the bus pulled up. I hopped in, paid my fare, and walked to the back. I sat in the very back seat, then I put on my headphones, starting off some music and getting comfortable. I had a 45-minute ride ahead of me, and I wanted to relax. About 15 minutes into the journey, the bus stopped at a quieter street. The doors opened up and an older man, carrying a large overnight bag, climbed in. His face was obscured by a mop of hair. I saw the driver do a double take. As the man turned towards him, the man began rifling through his bag, looking for, I'm guessing, some change or a bus pass. The driver looked uncomfortable and clearly did not want to look at the man any longer than necessary and told him not to worry and just to go take a seat. The man grunted in affirmation and started to make his way down the aisle. It was pretty late at this point, so the only other person on the bus was an older woman who looked to be dozing off. Couldn't say I blame her. The man had plenty of seats to choose from then, but for whatever reason, he decided to sit at the back of the bus, only two seats away from me. I found this odd and slightly unsettling, given the reaction of the bus driver. But soon I dismissed the thought and diverted my attention back to my phone as the bus began to move again. I was tired and I wanted to get home to crawl into my warm and cozy bed. Another five minutes or so pass. The song I was listening to just ended and in the break of silence that ensued before the next song began to play, I heard a strange noise coming from the man two seats away from me. I looked up at him out of the corner of my eye. He was hunched forward, clenching his bag tightly in his hands. 
This was creepy itself, but the worst part was the strange sound he was making. He was breathing heavily, panting. A small, almost giggle seemed to be escaping his mouth. I felt my heart jump in my chest. My eyes scanned the bus, seeing if the other passenger had noticed the man's strange noises. My eyes connected with the older woman, sitting near the front. She gave me a sympathetic smile, but turned quickly to face the front of the bus again. I swallowed nervously and risked another glance at the man. Then my heart froze in my chest. He was staring at me. I got a good look at his face. Long stringy gray hair, dark sun-aged complexion, and a large gap-toothed smile. But the worst part were his eyes. His pupils were huge and surrounded by a dark brown iris, but so little of his iris could be seen that his eyes appeared almost entirely black. One of his hands released the bag and he motioned for me to take out my earbuds. Not wanting to anger the guy, I complied and took them off. He grinned wide at me and scooted closer. I then caught a whiff of his disgusting breath and had to hold back the urge to gag. He whispered to me in a low, gruff whisper, Do you want to see something special? I looked at him in confusion and he gestured to the bag that he was holding. I took a closer look at the bag. It was old and torn and something dark was staining the bottom of it. I shook my head quickly. N no thanks, I'm good. My voice quivered as I replied. I saw the man's eyes narrow. Are you sure? He said, patting the bag. I got something mighty special in here and I wanted to share it with you. It was at this point I noticed the man had a slight American accent. I couldn't place exactly where the accent came from, but he definitely was not from around here. I forced a smile and again shook my head. Something like that should be kept a secret, I said. The man's eyes narrowed further and he grew quiet. I nervously cleared my throat and faced the front of the bus. Another 20 minutes of awkwardness passed. The man had said nothing further, only continued to clutch the mysterious bag. I could feel his eyes boring into the side of my face. I was so uncomfortable, I decided to break the silence. I opened my mouth to speak, but he beat me to it. Say, girl, you work in that big department store by the roundabout, don't you? I've seen you working on the shop floor a few times. I froze in my seat. This guy knew where I worked, and when I got off this bus, he was going to know where I lived. Yeah, it's a nice store, I answered. I didn't know what else to say. The man began to pat his bag again. You see... I made something special with some tools I bought from your store. That's why I wanted to show you. I felt my blood freeze in my veins. Had this guy been planning to catch me on the bus? Did he know the route I always took? I'd never seen this guy in this route before, and I knew I'd never encountered him in my own workspace. I shrunk back in my seat, 
holding my bag protectively in front of me. I threw a glance out the window. I was only 15 minutes away from my house. I looked back at the man who was now grinning at me almost maniacally. Your name, he said. It's, it's Anna, right? I stared at him wide-eyed. This guy even knew my name. He must have been stalking me. So many worst-case scenarios whizzed through my head then. I was now trying to figure out my escape route. He started to unzip the bag, and I stared wide-eyed in horror as he pulled out what appeared to be a ragdoll. The doll wore a dirty white dress and was covered in similar dark stains like the bag. These stains were dark red, like dried blood. The doll had a head of long, dark hair, pulled into messy pigtails. Eerily, the hair looked very real, and was actually identical in color to my own. The man held the doll towards me and said, Here, take this. I made it for you. That was the final straw. I jumped up out of my seat and ran to the front of the bus, frantically hitting the button to get off, and to my relief, the bus came to a stop quickly. I jumped off the bus, the driver grumbling that I needed to hit the button sooner if I want to get off. I waited until I heard the bus door shut behind me before I dared to look back towards it. I shrieked. The man stood, his face pressed against the glass, and I came to understand what else had been inside the bag. He was holding a large blood-stained kitchen knife and was scraping it against the window. I saw him mouth something to me before the bus drove off. I knew what he had said. See you soon. I'll be waiting. I booked it the remainder of the distance to my home. It wasn't until I was back in my own room, under the cover of my duvet, that I feel safe again. I never rode that bus again. I quit my job the next day and was lucky to find another job not too long later. I shudder at the thought of where the hair on that doll came from and whose blood was on that knife. I'm just grateful to have escaped with my life that night. The Woman at the Bus Station From Brittany K. I had gone to visit my aunt in Los Angeles over vacation break from school since the students were split into different track colors. Mine was green, and we were off for the entire month of January in 1999. By the 22nd of January, I was ready to go home to spend the remainder of the month with my parents and siblings, before of course heading back to school. My mom had asked my grandfather if he could get me from my aunt's house, and we'd catch buses back home. Early Saturday morning on January 23rd of 1999, I felt anxious and I just wanted to get going. So my grandfather and I were dropped off at a Greyhound bus station where we would be catching a bus to San Francisco. By the time we got there, I was starving 
so my grandfather asked me to stay put inside the station while he left to go get us some food. You see, my grandfather had this jolly personality about him. He never saw the bad in people, so he didn't think it odd to leave me at the station. Meanwhile, he ran an errand. I felt scared being that I was only 13 years old. I was standing there surrounded by our bags and a crap ton of people. A few minutes later, this middle-aged woman approached me and kindly but firmly suggested to me that I should take a seat and watch some TV with her. Since there were these mini TVs connected to every seat that were activated by inserting quarters on the side of them, I was hesitant for a few seconds, but my legs had grown tired from just standing there waiting. The woman helped me collect the bags and take them over to where the benches were. Then we sat down. She gave me some quarters to activate a TV, then we began to watch a black and white show that appeared. She then began to make small talk with me. I told her that I was waiting for my grandfather who had gone to get some food, to which she nodded up and down and confidently declared, yes, I know. I felt confused by this. How would she know that I was waiting on my grandfather? I was beginning not to trust the woman and at that point, I wanted to get up and go back to where I'd been standing, but my legs wouldn't budge. I was frozen in place. I glanced over at the woman and she smiled at me, then gently nodded towards the TV screen since it had turned off. I just sat there for a minute. Then after what felt like ages, I shakily inserted another quarter into the side of it. It buzzed back to life. I stared into the screen not actually watching what I was seeing. I began to wonder why this woman was actually here and what would happen. And yet I still could not move from the seat. I really don't know why I stayed there at all. I was scared and I just wanted my grandfather to magically show up so we could go wait for our second bus on route home. Almost as if the woman had read my mind, I heard her say to me, your grandfather sure is taking a while, isn't he, sweetheart? I squirmed a little at this. I just wanted to leave. I wanted to go home. After what felt like another hour, my grandfather had finally shown up with a puzzled expression on his face. He walked over to me and asked, Who helped you bring the bags over here? They're too heavy for you to carry. I must have looked a certain way because he then softened his tone and asked me, Sweetie Pie, who was here with you? I looked up at him and said, There was this woman, Grandpa. She gave me quarters for the TV. Am I in trouble? Tears began to well up in my eyes, but then he surprised me by asking, Sweetie, where is this lady now? I looked at him feeling confused turned around to see that there was no one there, no one at all. In fact, the previously crowded station was empty. It was just me and my grandfather. When my grandfather had dropped me off at home some hours later, I immediately told my mom about the lady at the bus station. My mom tried to lighten the mood, telling me that maybe she was an angel who was sent to look after me. But now that I'm older, I can't help but wonder what on earth that woman actually might have been, what she potentially had planned for me. I guess I'll never know, 
but that smile, it was far too creepy to be from an angel. Late Bus Creeper from Lisa. This happened in March just last year. I was 13 years old and I was horrified to take buses after this incident. Like a typical day, I was taking a public transport bus home after school, except it was a later bus than usual. I had a badminton practice after school, so this bus I never took home. I got out of practice at 5pm and the next bus was 6.30, so that meant me having to wait an hour and a half for the next one. For the most part, I just played on the phone. The times for this particular bus I was taking are usually messed up and make people have to wait over an hour for the next one. Mine finally came, so I got on. I took a seat down next to two people. The two of them got off pretty quickly though, so I was soon not surrounded by anyone. I was on my phone texting some people when some late 20-something guy got on and sat next to me. I thought nothing of it, just wanting to keep to myself. But I did notice he had a bag, and apparently he had an Xbox One in it, which wasn't a big deal to me. After about 20 minutes of sitting silently, he said something along the lines of, Hi, how are you? I replied with, I'm good, thanks. But he kept on talking until he had to get off. I was getting off in the next few stops, so I wasn't worried about being lonely. I was almost home after all. I thought that guy was pretty nice even though I hadn't wanted to talk and he just kept going. But I didn't think much about it after he got off until a guy sitting a few seats away said something. He introduced himself as Jim. Jim said he knew that guy and he'd known him for some time. He said the guy preyed on children and to not talk to him. My heart sank. When I got off the bus, I was thinking about what that guy had said. One of the things he said before he got off was, Do you have an extra TV at home? I need one for my new Xbox. I had told him no, sorry. And then he offered to come over and let me play his Xbox at my house, asking me if my parents were home. I again said no thanks. I now knew that this guy may have been trying to get to my house. When I finally got off the bus, I was terrified, realizing this guy was a predator and that he could be following me even now, trying to see where I lived. I circled the block a few times, trying to confuse or lose anyone who may be following me. I walked home then, paranoid as all hell. I haven't seen him since, but it really freaks me out that I, of all people, encountered such a blatant predator. I'm glad I never invited him home. Stranger at the Bus Stop From Thomas A. It was autumn of 2012. I was 15 years old. I was on my way back home from a friend's house who lived about an hour away. I was waiting at a bus stop at around 9pm. I lived in a rural area in Germany. The streetlights here don't often work at times, which they didn't that night. I was always quite an easy person to scare, so I was just sitting there curled up a bit, 
creeped out and somewhat desperately waiting for that bus, which I actually still had to wait about 40 minutes for. After 15 minutes of waiting, I heard a really quiet sound, like slow footsteps, in the darkness to my right. I couldn't see who it was or how far they were. It didn't help that the bus stop had a sort of shelter cover that only opened up to the front. I couldn't see much to my sides. I was hearing these footsteps approach to my right. As an adult, I know that I should have alerted the person to my presence, as to not startle them in the middle of the night in the dark. But I was a scared little 15-year-old kid. I didn't want to draw attention to myself, so I stayed quiet. The footsteps stopped right beside me, though. I was sitting right against the wall, so I could hear where they stopped. I heard these strange clicking noises and figured that the guy must be having a cigarette or a cigar right now. Then I heard a phone ring and the person picked it up. At first, I only heard a bit of voice on the other end of the phone, which I couldn't understand. I only heard that that voice sounded really fast spoken and the speaker was female. Then she stopped and that guy started speaking with the creepiest voice I've ever heard. Every word was so deep, and the voice was raspy. I kid you not, this is what he said. Hell yes, I'd like something different. Now that's what I like. I like those little ones. You're gonna love these kids, at least I love them. There was a pause in the line, and the woman started speaking even faster. I could hear some sort of fear in her voice. I recall thinking to myself how I could solve this situation. I checked the time first. I had 20 minutes to wait, and that was far too much time to just sit here and wait it out. So I did something stupid. I called out. Hello? He was still on the phone and the woman was talking, but when I spoke, he immediately hung up on her as if he had been caught doing something he shouldn't. Then there was silence, only some raspy breathing erupting in the night air. After an undetermined amount of time, the silence was broken when he began to walk again. I couldn't make out where they were going, and then there was a knock coming on the wall behind me, the glass wall. The guy, for whatever reason, didn't go in front of me to confront me but rather had snuck behind me. I wondered then if he didn't know that there was a back wall to this thing. I jumped and turned around, only to see the most terrifying thing in my life. The guy was at least six foot seven, if not more. He was staring down at me with menacing-looking eyes wide open. He was wearing an all-black suit, a fedora of some kind, and had long, messy, greasy brown hair. Through the glass, he asked me, What did you hear? I answered with a weak, What? Nothing. Just someone on the phone. He seemed to think for a long time, his eyes piercing me all the while. Then he slowly, in a deep voice, said to me, I can easily find out who you are. I can find where you live. If I hear anything about this, I will get you. He smiled and still stood there, but I was frozen in shock. He began to walk around the stop towards me, 
but I was so horrified by then, I was able to muster enough courage to pick up my feet and run at full speed away from him towards the city where my friend lived. I made it back okay, and I never saw the man again. What exactly he was talking about on the phone that he didn't want other people hearing, I have no idea, but I'm terrified that if I speak up, he'll find me just like he said. Ravenous Hounds from Angel This happened when I was in fifth grade. I live in a bit of a wooded area, but there are houses all around. When I was in the fifth grade, I was dropped off at my bus stop on a Friday. My house was only three houses down from the bus stop. My house is kind of different though. It's got two acres of land instead of one, and the empty land is closest to the stop. As I was walking home on the road, I was about a house or so away from my own home. There were two tiny dogs. I would like to say that they looked like miniature pinchers, a white one and a black one. The dogs started barking at me and I kind of shrugged it off, but I jumped a bit as I was easily startled back then. I started walking on and then from my right, I saw two large black dogs ran out of a yard and went over to me. I didn't see them coming until it was too late, because the area they came from was overgrown and abandoned. All you could see were tall bushes, dead brown trees and such. The dogs came barreling towards me, causing me to freeze up. When I unfroze, I put my binder to my side and stopped cradling it. These hounds were barking at me, drooling. You could tell they were hungry, and you could plainly see the bones in their ribcages. I screamed then, which I think completely saved my life. From the corner of my eye, I saw something brown speeding towards me. My dog, an old chocolate lab named Snickers. She heard me scream and came over. I'm surprised she could tell from that distance that it was my scream. She came to my rescue and stood snarling right next to me, protecting me from the other dogs. The dogs weren't as brazen, but still drew closer slowly. I screamed again, this time my Nana and Papa coming. They threw rocks at the dogs, trying to keep them at bay. And then my Papa put me on the four-wheeler he was on and drove away with me as I cried. The dogs pursued us for some time before finally running off. My Nana hugged me back home, and Snickers licked my face. I was happy, but also horrified that on my own street, a couple of dogs trying to eat me and seeing the way they acted, I had no doubt that that's what they were trying to do. I'm 18 now. Snickers passed away back in February of 2016. Dogs aren't just a man's best friend. They can also be your lifesaver. You'd think that I would be scared of dogs because of this, but I'm not. I love and respect them more than ever, and I know Snickers was the best girl. Be careful at bus stops and keep your eyes peeled when you ride the bus. I know that when you ride a bus or wait at a bus stop, you're most likely exhausted at the end of a long workday. But when you close your eyes or turn away to relax, you leave yourself wide open to the horrific things and people 
that are constantly looking for any moment to prey on people like you. So be careful and don't forget to thank the bus driver. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you want me to read your story, share it with us at darkstories.org. If you want to support the show, check out the links in the description to donate via Patreon or to shop my merchandise. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous video about five farm horror stories. Corey Black says, Moo, I'm a cow. Nice to meet you, Corey. I'll be eating you at McDonald's quite soon. Ethan Johnson says, When you're so early, it says no views. More like, when the channel's so dead, it's got two views after a year. My greatest fear. Jay Spade says, For F's sakes, darkness. Gotta upload at night and force me to watch from the farm I live on. Thanks, mate. Hey, it's my job to scare people as much as possible. I see this as a great success. I wonder what mysterious or creepy things lurk on your farm, Jay. Sadaf Tariq says, Hello from Pakistan. Love your channel. Keep up the good work. Thanks so much. I love hearing from people from all over the world. It always inspires me to want to gather some stories from that location. Some Pakistan ghost stories would be great. And Marble and Marble says, Get darkness to one million. I'm not sure that'll ever happen, but as long as I can continue to read you guys' stories and have someone listen, I think I'll be happy. Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. But don't worry, more scary stories are on the way soon. So stay tuned. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate. They're great people. Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy. Because this world is a strange one. Drekovic, Kelpie, Feyfolk. Europe is ripe with mythical creatures and dark folklore. Creeping out children with cautionary tales before bedtime is their expertise. But these are more than just myths. You see, many people of Europe have seen these creatures on their homeland. Strange and horrifying creatures that will have you begging for your sanity. These are 10 strange creatures seen in Europe. If you want your story narrated, share it with us at darkstories.org. There's something wrong with my dog. From Swedish Hunter. I'm 18 years old and I'm from Kirina, Sweden. It's about as far north as you can get and I've lived here since I was six. My family is originally from Finland but we moved to my granddad's house here when he passed away. Even if I haven't lived here my whole life, I know our land like the back of my hand, and there's a lot of it. We inherited miles of forest, and my brother and I have turned basically every rock we could find. My dad's an experienced hunter, and he lives in a small cabin in the woods during hunting season, 
we rarely see him until that's over. Well, when I was around 14, I was finally allowed to come with him. It took a lot of convincing since he sees his hunting as relaxing, so he prefers to be alone. But I'd gotten pretty good at hunting myself, so I was finally allowed to come along. It was autumn, so it wasn't that cold, but I remember we spent the nights huddled together in front of an open fire. We had a really nice time for about a week, fishing and tracking animals in the woods. We had brought along our one-year-old Norwegian elk hound named Titi, and it was her first hunting trip. We were both excited to see just how well she'd do. One misty morning when we let her go, she took off like a rocket, tracking something around the house a few times before bolting into the forest. We followed her for a few hours, eventually ending up in a very gorgeous clearing where we sat down to drink some hot chocolate. As we were chatting about nothing in particular, we hear her barking again, which meant she'd found something. So my dad told me to pack up as he ran ahead. I wasn't worried as I saw him disappear into the tree line. I knew the forest better than anyone, I thought. I was walking out towards the tree line after packing up, pulling at some loose strings from my sleeve as a shot rang out, which made me jump. Luckily, my dad had reminded me to wear my earmuffs. I got excited. I practically ran towards the sound, but remembered that my dad had told me to stay away if he started to shoot. So I stopped, and I stayed in my place for a while, until I heard another one ring out, and then another. There was a total of five shots fired, until TT stopped barking, and let out a loud scream. It was like nothing I'd heard before. I'd stepped on her tail before once, and I heard her whimper, but the sound she let out that day, it sounded like a strangled cry from a person. I knew something was wrong. I began to scream immediately for my dad. I could hear the sounds of footsteps approaching. Then my dad came running through the forest, carrying TT in his arms. He had covered her in his jacket, which was covered in red. I barely remember what happened after, because I was crying so hard. We ended up in Dad's truck and drove off to the vet. They took her in as my dad drove me home, hugging me as I continued to cry the entire day. TT did not get to come home until a few days later, and when she did, she had bandages all over her face. She was really sad and whimpered if anyone got near her snout. I didn't care though. I was so relieved, so happy to have our dog back home and okay. My dad told me she had been kicked by a moose and that her nose was basically crushed. It was bent 90 degrees to her right and she'd lost most of her teeth, poor girl. I still feel bad thinking about dad having to feed her through a tube as she held up. She eventually did get better, and life went on again as normal. She recovered nicely, and I was allowed to come along on more trips to the forest. But now, starting about a month ago, strange things began happening, and it's scaring my whole family. On our last trip, 
we found tracks that looked like they came from a giant moose. Now we're used to moose walking around our property, and we know how big they can get. But these tracks were so huge that even my dad didn't follow them. He said they were twice as big as the biggest tracks he'd ever seen, and that was saying something. During the night, we'd hear moose calls really close to the house, and we'd find tracks closer and closer to our home. One day, my brother had been playing outside with his friends when they suddenly started screaming. Outside, just by the edge of the forest, stood a massive moose. Dad grabbed his rifle and pointed it towards it, but the creature just stood there, staring us down without even flinching. It only moved when my dad fired at it, and even then it slowly turned back into the forest and walked away like it had all the time in the world. T.T. ran after it suddenly, which was obviously dangerous as the moose was colossal and didn't even seem a bit scared of any of us, let alone her. We tried to call her back, but she did not listen and ran into the forest. We looked for her, tried to call her back for hours, but we did not find her for two days. She ended up coming back home on her own. But honestly, I don't think it's the same dog that ran off. Not only does she seem skinnier after just two days, but she acts differently. Even after her severe injuries, TT was always cuddly, obedient, but now she stays alone and keeps to herself. She doesn't even sleep in my bed anymore, which she would do every night. Nowadays, she just wanders all around all night and sniffs around our bedroom doors. Sometimes we hear her growl and make this gargling sound, like she's going to puke. But when we check on her, she's just fine. She doesn't listen to our commands anymore, even when we bribe her with ham or meat. Ham used to be her favorite too. My parents tried to get me not to worry, saying that she's probably just exhausted from being lost and that we need to give her more time. Well, I did. We all did. But she kept acting weirder and stranger. She stopped eating her food altogether. She began to limp. But after bringing her to vets, they never found anything that would cause her to limp. No reason for her to walk strangely. And then her fur began falling out. She grew scabs all over her body. She'd snarl whenever anyone tried to touch her and we were scared of even going close to her as she'd snap at us. A few days ago, after having a few drinks with some friends, I came home and fell asleep. I had the most horrifying dream. I dreamt that I was in our forest, trying to find my way back home, but I became more and more lost. I knew that I knew my way home, but it was like the ground kept changing around me. I could hear the sound of large hooves stomping around as I began to panic. Then I heard TT bark in the distance and then heard her scream, just like the day when she was attacked. Then I suddenly found myself in my parents' bedroom, standing in the doorway as they slept in their bed. Then TT crawled out from under the bed but her front legs were hairy human arms with long fingers that scratched at the floor as she emerged. 
she looked disturbing. Her teeth dug into her lower jaw and her eyes were glowing bright red. I wanted to scream, but I couldn't do anything. Just watch as she crawled onto their bed. Then she stood up on hind legs, which grew in length. She slowly became an old man with wrinkly gray skin, with eyes that glowed red. He or it turned to me, opening its mouth, which was just a large black hole with long, sharp teeth. It began to growl at me, but it sounded like a dog's growl, just off-key. It's hard to describe. It was kind of like auto-tune, but really, really off-key. It was then that I woke up screaming, my sheets drenched in sweat. But the worst part? Titi was standing in the doorway. She was watching me, sniffing the air as I screamed for my mother. I cried in her arms for an hour before she managed to calm me down. She reminded me that it was just a weird dream, and that helped me calm down a bit. But Titi kept getting worse, and I'm having nightmares like that every night. In the most recent one, I see Titi's body heaving on the ground as her twisted snout bled into her throat, choking her. And every time I have one of these nightmares, I wake up to see Titi standing in the doorway. It's like she's watching me and enjoying these nightmares I have. Or maybe she's what's giving me these nightmares. By now we've taken Titi to several different vets, including one six hours away. They've tried to treat her for parasites, bacteria, and a bunch of other things, but nothing makes her better. If anyone knows what this is, what's going on with my dog, I'd like to know. I think that giant moose thing has something to do with it. I think it was the thing that attacked my dog, and I think it came back for her. The Maidenhead Monster from King Vulture I've seen something you would not believe. I live in England, and this all started when I was coming home from school. I always come and go to school on a minibus, listening to music. One day, as I was looking out the window, passing the time, we weren't far from the school when I saw something disturbing. There was a creature or thing in a weird walking pose. It was staring right at me. I only saw it for a few seconds, but I could tell right away that it wasn't human, even if it appeared to be pretending to be one. It had no neck, almost as if its head was fused to its body. It didn't have fingers either, none that I could see anyway. It had legs, but the legs were like a deer or elk's. I remember doing a double take, my mouth dropping open, and wishing I could go back to see it. But it was gone in seconds, as the minibus drove away, quickly rounding a corner, causing the thing to vanish from my sight. I wasn't so much scared as I was just confused, you know? I saw something that didn't really make sense. A few days later, I saw the same thing again, but it was crossing the road only like 10 or 12 meters away from the car I was in. I had the window open, 
and I could hear the sickening noise it made. It was constantly screaming like a person in pain. It was a very menacing sound, one that sent chills all over my body. This time, I was happy I was driving away. When I got home that day, I swear I saw something dash past our house, but maybe I was just paranoid. It could have been one of those mean cats that kept attacking our cat. When I went to bed that night, I woke up to the sound of faint screaming again at exactly midnight. It was the exact same scream, too, that that thing had made. I was too terrified to look out the window. When my mother and I have to go get my big sister from work at night, I always get the feeling that I'll see it again, that it's just watching me from the darkness. But at least I haven't seen that thing since. Who knows if it's still out there? If you live in Britain, do your best to avoid the Maidenhead monster. Who knows what it's capable of? Vampire Encounter from Anonymous I live in the UK in Newcastle, near the countryside, so usually it's quite peaceful and nice, but this experience would change the way I saw this place forever. My experience happened back in August 11th of 2016 at around 10.30 p.m. My brother, my friend, and I were out walking in a field. We went into the woods to sit and walk around, just chatting and hanging out. Around then, we heard a twig snap. We looked and saw a woman just walking through the woods as well. I thought nothing of it. We often saw other people out here walking around. Now, this woman looked quite young, appearing to be in her early 20s. Again, we just ignored her. But soon we realized that the woman just kept walking back and forth. So my friend, worried about her mental state, went over to ask her if she was okay. The woman said to him that she was just keeping an eye on us. We thought this was weird, so we just kept going. But she continued to follow us. We stopped and this time I went over to tell her to get the hell away from us. This was a mistake. Because when the woman lifted up her head and looked at me, there was now blood dripping from her mouth. Her eyes were dark red and bloodshot. When she stared at me, I felt paralyzed. I couldn't move no matter how hard I tried. I regained control of myself only after my friend yanked me by the hand and turned me around. We all began to run. I could see my brother far ahead of us, almost out of the woods at this point, but I couldn't see the woman. I kept getting this feeling that she was right behind us, though. My heart was pounding out of my chest. I couldn't believe what I had seen. I believed in the supernatural. I've always enjoyed folktales and stories about it, but I never thought once that I'd see something like this. I thought she was going to get us, I thought we were going to die. We had nothing to defend ourselves with, so we ran as far and as fast as we were able to until we all nearly dropped, out of breath and exhausted. When I looked around, there was no sign of the woman, so we quietly but quickly walked out of the woods. 
We went back to my house, sneaking past my mother, because I knew she wouldn't believe this story. Be careful in the woods of Newcastle, because I think a vampire lives out there. Three Fairy Encounters from North Wales, Part 1, from L. Wilco 77. I've always believed in the Fae, and I'd like to share with you three fairy experiences that have happened to me while I spent six months in North Wales on a study exchange. The first experience happened in March of 2018 at the Great Orm Mines in the town of Hlandidna. The Great Orm was a late Neolithic copper mine, and as I was studying archaeology, our lecturer took my class there for a field trip. We went out of season so there were no other tourists, and one of the resident archaeologists gave us a tour through the underground complex. It's amazing. You can still see the marks where people excavated the shafts using deer antler picks. Inside the mine, there is one of the largest pre-industrial age man-made caverns in the world. While our guide was talking about the cavern, another student and I were standing further up the mine shaft towards an opening in the cavern. Now, we were told not to go off the path because it can be quite dangerous. Rocks can fall and there are hidden shafts, but the guy I was standing with asked me whether or not the guide would let us have a look in the larger cavern. I said it couldn't hurt to ask, but probably not because of the rules. He said that he was just going to have a little peek inside the cavern. I told him to be careful then, just as I said this, he began to step inside the cavern when a huge, heavy rock came crashing down from the ceiling, right where he was going to walk. We both jumped back and looked at each other. The commotion had attracted the attention of the rest of the group, and the guide asked what had happened. I told him that the rock nearly came down on our heads, but it didn't look like a rock slide, as only one came down. The guide laughed at us and simply said, the knockers were telling you two not to go in there. I've heard of mine fairies before, but I wanted to pick his brain, so I asked if he had any experiences with them. He said sometimes when you're exploring the mine, your tools and food will go missing, even when you're alone, then show up in another place. On other occasions, uncanny archaeology discoveries will be found in odd locations, where nothing would be expected, like a clay lantern that was used to light the tunnels for the miners 4,000 years ago, being found in exactly the spot it had been left, soot from the flames still blackening the wall behind it. Part 2 The second encounter happened not two weeks after the Great Orm Mine Encounter. I was camping in the thick mountain pine forests around the village of Betvis Ikod with two friends. We were staying in a small clay hut in a little gully, not too far from a place called Fairy Falls, where it's said that water fairies dwell. It was early morning at around 6am. My friends were still asleep in the hut, and I had decided to go for a walk in the woods. Out of nowhere, I heard these bugle horns the kind of horn that horse-mounted hunting parties use. I'll mention here that the forest around the hut was extremely thick, and the terrain was quite steep. 
so it would be impossible for horses to go through it. There was a small track further up the mountain, but we were so remote that not many people came out this way. It seemed odd that a hunting party would be in this kind of terrain that is so ill-suited for horses and had low visibility for spotting prey. Also, these days, fox hunting is almost entirely illegal in the UK, unless on a private estate, and we were in a national forest. After I heard these horns, suddenly a large white dog with red ears bounded out of the pines, jumped the fence, and ran over to me. It was definitely a hound, similar to a foxhound, but not quite the same. It was friendly, though, and came up for a sniff before quickly leaving me to sniff around the clearing the hut was in, looking for the scent of its quarry. Then I caught sight of more white dogs, all with red ears, running through the forest undergrowth, all barking as they had now caught the scent of their prey. I didn't fully see their quarry, but I caught a flash of something white, even more white than the dogs, as it ran down the steep gully edge. It was gone too quickly for me to make out what it was, but it almost looked like it was floating. I could hear the horns getting closer and closer, but I never saw the hunters, only those strange-looking hounds. The thing is, white dogs with red ears have a very specific place in Welsh folklore. They are the Gwyn Anwyn, or Hounds of the Other World, and they belong to the King of the Fairies, Gwyn Ap Nud. They are also said to escort the dead to the other world, as well as hunt wrongdoers to the ground. Were they actually the Gwyn Ap Nud's hounds? I can't say. I didn't see Gwyn himself, but it was certainly an odd and eerie scene, so far out in a thick forest. Part 3 this final fairy encounter happened on the night of Belkana, Eve of May Day. Belkana is an ancient festival heralding in the first day of spring. Many Wiccans and pagans celebrate it today, but the festival is much older than any New Age rendition of it. It is meant to be one of the days of the year. The other day is Samhain or Halloween, when the veil between our world and the other world is at its weakest. I was at a stone circle in the town of Bangor, on the straits that separated mainland wells from the island of Inglesey, the last stronghold of the Druids. We had decided to have a little Belkana party, so we were playing some music and drinking a heap of wine. Before we got into the wine, though, I poured a little onto the earth as an offering to the Fae. I'm not a Wiccan or really a pagan, but I thought it'd be fun to do. Anyways, the sun set and it grew dark. I was looking out onto the bare trees near the edge of the stone circle and noticed little flickering lights in the tree canopy. At first, I thought they were car headlights across the straits, but they didn't move like car lights. They bobbed up and down, and when I looked directly at them, they vanished. Because they were in the canopy, I thought they could have been the lights of a helicopter, but it was silent no telltale sound of the rotors. Now I will say that I had been drinking some wine, but I definitely wasn't drunk. I wasn't sure of what I was seeing though, so I asked my friends if they had seen them too. None of them had. I kept pointing them out and insisting that they were there. 
but no one saw them, not even the self-described witch of the group. Because no one but me seemed to see them, I let it go and watched them until they simply faded away. This to me was undeniably a fey experience. I saw them, I wasn't drunk or high, I just wished someone else had seen them too. This time though, I had no particular idea of which fey it may have been. I've had plenty of other paranormal and unexplainable experiences in my six months in Wales. I'll share them one day, as they are quite strange. I'll say that even though I've experienced these things in my life, I've never had so much activity happen in such a short space of time as when I came back to my ancestral homeland. Mythical Creature in an Abandoned Village from Mikarlo 01. I'm a 20-year-old guy from Croatia. I think I was 12 or 13, though, when this happened. We were kids full of adventure spirit. One day we were told by my friend Martin's mom that there was an abandoned church somewhere in the forest around my town. She used to play there when she was young. So me, Martin, and another friend of mine named Luca accepted the challenge to go find and explore the church. Now my town is located in the rural part of our country, and it's surrounded on three sides by a forest and one side with a meadow. There's also an abandoned village there called Duratina, and that is where we three went. It's not entirely abandoned but I think only three people live there in three separate houses. So Diratina is surrounded by forest on all sides, and it's connected with gravel roads. We came in ready to investigate. We came to one point where the road was too rough to ride bikes on, so Martin and Luca went to check further on foot while I stayed to guard their bikes. I wasn't scared because there was no legend of anything scary in this town or around it and I'd never really heard any weird stories from out here. But not much longer after they left, I began to hear these loud screams. At first, they sounded like dogs that were being attacked, and I was beginning to get nervous. I didn't know what to do in that kind of situation. I remember thinking, maybe these dogs were attacking my friends. I wanted to grab a nearby brick and go help them, the moment I'd gathered the courage to actually do something, I saw the two of them running back now, yelling at me to run. We escaped, and when we thought we were safe, I asked them about what was going on. They seemed pretty shocked by something. They asked me if I had heard those screaming sounds, and I said yes, that I thought it was dogs, but they said they weren't dogs at all. Lucas said that it sounded like it was coming from an abandoned house in the woods. Martin said that it felt like something didn't want us to find the church. They said that something had been chasing them out of those woods, but they never got a good look at it. We quickly rode home on our bikes. The next day, Martin came to me, talking about a legend he had researched recently, called the Drekovic, or Howler. Legend says it is a creature made from an unborn baby that can't be destroyed or killed until he finds his own peace, and the descriptions of its howl matched perfectly with the sound we heard that day, like canid howls mixed with child's cries. 
we would never return to that abandoned village again. The Fireplace from Green Pansy 67 When I was a child, I used to live in an old Victorian house in the UK. My bedroom had a huge fireplace like you would see in a living room, but because it was Victorian, they used to have them in the master bedrooms as well. I would share this room with my big sister, who was about 10, and I was eight at the time of the incident. We used to sleep in this huge room on a bunk bed opposite the fireplace, about six feet away from our bed. We were used to hearing noises from it, often from the pigeons that nestled in the chimney, as it hadn't been used for years. We would occasionally see twigs and other nesting material fall from the chimney. It wasn't something that bothered us too much. We basically grew up with it. On the other hand, I was always afraid of the dark. It would keep me awake for hours before bed, as I always felt like I was never alone there. Of course, at the age of eight, I knew very little about the paranormal, and I used to assume it would be monsters that would get me in my sleep. One night, I had been lying in bed for a while, unable to sleep. I could hear my sister snoring gently above me on the top bunk, although that wasn't what was bothering me. I was facing the wall away from the fireplace when I suddenly felt an enormous surge of terror. The kind you hear about when you listen to ghost stories, but of course at that age I just knew the feeling was wrong. So I pulled the covers over my head tightly, leaving my feet poking out at the bottom. I lay there for what seemed like only a few minutes, holding my breath and trying to be as still as a dormouse. I could hear breathing right next to my face though, from the other side of the blanket, and it made me want to scream. But I couldn't. I was too terrified. All of a sudden, I felt something sit on the bed next to me. It wasn't too heavy, but it sure as hell was heavier than me. I sat as still as I could, trying not to cry from fear. As I lay there still as could be, the thing, whatever it was, grasped onto my big toe and pulled on it. In my fright, I yanked the covers off. I was face to face with a huge black figure. The closest thing I could relate it to would be the Grim Reaper without a scythe. The creature wore a cloak with a sort of pointed hood on its head, and although it was hard to tell, I knew it was no human. As soon as it saw me, it floated out from my bottom bunk, and without as much as a whisper, it faded into the chimney and was gone. I was so horrified that I jumped out of bed and climbed up into my sister's top bunk. I didn't move a muscle all night. In the morning, I asked my sister if she had seen anything. My sister said she hadn't, and so I asked my mother what she thought it was. She was actually quite believing of my story, saying that ever since they had moved in, she had often seen out of the corner of her eye a presence moving from the back door to the pantry in a straight line. Needless to say, I've never forgotten that thing in my bed, and now I never sleep with my feet hanging out of the covers anymore, as it creeps me out just to think about it. Well, I couldn't find another two new stories in time to complete this video, but I do have two juicy stories that match today's theme from back in 2017. 
so odds are you haven't heard these before. Enjoy. Welsh Woods Monster Submitted by Nathan I live in South Wales in a little village just outside of Cardiff. I don't want to name the place specifically, but there is a very popular singer from this particular town. Also, anybody who knows Wales will know that the outside cities can be quite rural and a mixture of fields, forests, and mountains that quickly will merge into old mining villages. One day, I was on my way home from an 11-hour shift. As this happened in winter, it had been dark for hours, despite only being eight o'clock in the evening. I had decided to take a detour as my regular route was blocked due to an accident, and it was the worst decision I've ever made. I decided to go over the mountain that leads to my local village. The road goes up a steep incline that cuts in on itself, and it continues to go up and up. There are no street lights, but there are road markings that keep you on track. After about 10 minutes, I make it to the top of this mountain. There is nothing notably strange at this point until I start to drive the slow incline down towards the deep forest. I'm about 30 seconds into the drive down when I realize there are no other sounds other than the rattling of my engine and the radio. It was strange. Even though I couldn't hear anything outside of the car, it felt like I was being told that something isn't right. I don't know why, but I stopped the car in order to listen to the sounds that should be there. The trees were dark and still, and I could barely see past the tree line either side of me. In front of me, my car headlights brightened up the road ahead. I turned off my engine as I found it difficult to concentrate on the sounds outside of the car with the engine running. And then it was silent. There wasn't a sound, no crickets, noises, or birds flapping their wings. There was not even the sound of the wind blowing. It was like all sound in that moment was non-existent, and it filled me with dread. And then I heard it. Help! Someone cried through the darkness of the forest. Help me! But this voice was distorted, like if someone played it on a record player. It sounded crackly, but faded out towards the end of every cry for help. It was so wrong. I jumped out of the car and I tried to focus on what I could see past the trees. My heart was racing. I started to sweat and I was breathing so heavily I felt my heart was coming up through my mouth and I was frozen with blind fear. And then I saw it. It was a man, or so I thought. They were disproportionate with long skinny legs and arms and I saw bright red eyes appear and disappear as if it was blinking and looking straight at me. It seemed to walk or glide towards me with his arms swinging back and forth. I don't know because my head was fuzzy at the time. I felt confused and afraid. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. As it got closer, I could see its face, and this thing was the furthest from human. It had little notable facial features. This creature stopped and it opened its mouth wide and wider, wider than anything I'd ever seen before, and it let out the most terrifying scream I'd ever heard. It was so loud that it felt like it dug into my very existence and shook me to the core. That was the moment I shook my head and I realized what was going on. Instantly, I jumped into the car and tried to start the engine. My hand was shaking so much, I could barely turn the key. 
After what seemed like a lifetime, I managed to put the car into first gear and I drove off. I drive down the road and check my mirror and that thing is standing in the road, not moving, not making a sound, just standing there. When I got home, I locked all the doors and I cried for hours until I finally fell asleep. Eventually, someone introduced me to scary horror stories and I ended up doing my own research. I stumbled upon tales about skinwalkers and that's what I believe I saw. Whales or not, it could have only been that. I've had nightmares ever since and I've always thought that one day I will see that thing again. Needless to say, I have not gone near that area ever since. Scratches Outside Submitted by Anika P. I've been living in Cornwall for just over five years now. I've learned and heard of loads of different spirits and monsters in Cornish folklore. Well, I have unfortunately had a few experiences and actually have stories to tell. About four years ago, I learned about the Beast of Bodmin. It is supposedly a large black wild cat who lives on the moors of Bodmin. It's been said to have killed masses of livestock in the early 1900s and has turned its attention to people every once in a while. I've always been interested in cryptozoology, so this kind of thing really grabbed my attention and that's how I began doing my own research. After quite some time, I kind of got bored by the idea when the sighting of this creature began to dry up, so I lost interest in it for a while. Well, that was until I went on a camping trip with my family and some friends. I spent a couple of nights in an open field near the home of these family friends. It was very fun and we were all having a good time. We just relaxed and shared a few stories by the campfire having drinks. That is, until one of my friends, let's call him Charlie, started telling us about how some of the trees in the neighboring woods had large scratches up them, up to six feet up the trunks. We all threw theories back and forth, and that's when Charlie brought up the beast of Bodmin. Being the scaredy cat I am, I decided to go off to bed and ignore the conversation taking place outside my tent. The night was thankfully uneventful, and we woke up early for a hike on the moors. We had been given time to look around standing stones and some other landmarks. Then Charlie took me and my family to a small set of woods. After about 10 minutes of walking, we came to a group of trees, most of which had what I thought was claw marks. I knew what he was trying to show us, but both me and my younger brother, let's call him Ali, didn't want to stay around for too long. I'll be honest, I was scared. So after much pushing, my mom, me, and Ali left and we started walking back towards camp. The thought of having a huge man-eating beast practically next door to our camp gave me chills and it made me feel physically sick, nervous. I wanted to just go home. I didn't feel safe out there. On the last day of our camping trip, Ali and I decided we would stay together in the same tent. We were still really scared and did not want to sleep alone. We both lay there and were fast asleep in only a few minutes. My brother was only eight or nine at the time, but I felt a lot more comfortable knowing I had someone by my side. But this temporary feeling of security quickly left. 
At about two in the morning, I woke up and needed to use the bathroom. So I made my way slowly out of the tent, trying my best to not wake up Ali, and I did my business. To my surprise, I saw the glare of eyes in the torchlight. Now I was half asleep, and I thought it was my dog, Bella, so I called her over. But immediately after, I heard this low grumble, and instantly I shut up and reassessed the situation. I realized after a moment, I was looking at a large black shape, not a small white dog. I did not wait around trying to find out what it was going to do. I ran and jumped into the open tent and right onto my sleeping brother. I quickly zipped up the tent and grabbed hold of a now really angry and sleepy-eyed Ali. He later told me that he had been trying to push me away, tried to ask me what was going on, but I guess I wasn't really listening. I spent about half an hour listening out there for the noise again, but thank God it never happened. Ali eventually fell back to sleep, but I knew I wouldn't be able to, not until I was back home and safe. I'd never been so happy as to see the sunrise the next day and to hear my parents waking up. Even still, I could not get the image of this massive black shadow in the woods, a shadow that was twice my size at least. Beast of Bodmin or not, there was some sort of monster in the woods, something that nearly had me cornered in the middle of the night. Anyway, the next day, needless to say, I did not tell anyone. Knowing my family, I knew that if they hadn't seen what I'd seen, then they would not believe me. I didn't even believe me, and I still don't sometimes. Or maybe that's the denial. We got home and I tossed away any thoughts of the camping trip, trying not to remember the creature I saw in the woods. I didn't think I'd ever have to remember or think about that trip again until three nights after our return home. Because I was sitting in bed watching TV, having hot chocolate, when I first heard it. The pat, pat, pat sound of something running back and forth in front of my house. It came again and again, night after night, no matter how much I tried to ignore it. So I observed the sound, and I realized it did not sound anything like a dog or a badger, not even a fox. All of these animals have non-retractable claws, which means I would have heard the sound of claws scraping against the road. But I didn't, and it was far too big to have just been a cat. It was very heavy, the padding sound of paws brushing away stones and dirt. When I gathered the courage to look outside, I was struck by the familiar shape. Out on the road was that same silhouette I had seen, a dark figure whose fur blended in with the night, a feline form that was far too big to be any house cat. It was stalking along the road, yellow eyes beaming under the moonlight. Immediately, I stepped away from the window, fear enveloping me. I could hear the sounds continue as I walked away, and they continued for several nights after that. But after a few weeks, it just stopped. I still have no idea what it was to this day, nor will I claim it to be anything. But I know what I heard, and I know what I saw. There is some sort of creature out there, something larger than the natural wildlife, something that looks predatory and dangerous. I'll be sure to keep these events in mind when and if I ever go camping again. And I really hope if anyone comes to Cornwall and goes camping here, that you take my experiences to heart. Just be careful out there. 
Europe is a vast and diverse continent. Each border comes with such a drastic change in cultures at times. You step away from one nation of rich mythology to step into another that is so much different and often just as terrifying. Needless to say, if you want to live in a place where there's always a new monster to be scared of, Europe is the place to go. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode of Darkness Prevails, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you have a story of your own you want narrated, start by sending it to us at darkstories.org. If you want to support the show, there's a link to my Patreon in the description, along with a link to my merchandise. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous episode about five scary bus stop stories. Gato Dogcat says, No, I don't want to wait for my bus in the morning. I used to do that every day for like five years, and it was always cold no matter the time of year. I hated it. Levi Hart Music says, Your darkness has brought light into my world. Keep it coming. Crazy how darkness does that, and I'm very grateful that it does. Fireshard2Vlog says, Notice me, darkness. I'm lonely. Well, I'm replying just because you have a really cool profile picture. Very Wendigo-esque. The RJL25 says, I'm glad I got my driver's license. Yay, now you get to pay for gas for the rest of your life. And Kojo3Official says, If there was a horror convention, tickets for your show would be sold out fast. Love your stuff. I was actually requested to attend a horror convention once. I got a paid weekend to go as well, me and my wife. But due to anxiety, I didn't attend. I wasn't really ready to open up a booth or anything. So maybe one day. Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. But don't you worry, more scary stories are on the way soon. So stay tuned. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate. They're great people. Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy. Because this world is a strange one. Creepy creatures and critters aren't the only things spooking people in the woods. There are also spirits and other ethereal entities that aren't part of our world, yet can often reach out and touch you whenever they please. These beings come in all shapes and sizes and inclinations. Sometimes they won't even look in your direction. On the other hand, some unlucky folks claim to have been attacked so enjoy these five terrifying encounters that took place in haunted forests. If you want your story narrated, share it with us at darkstories.org. My Middle School Field Trip Horror Story from Anonymous I live in Canada, Ontario. I was 12 years old. I was going on a field trip to this place called Taquania, and as soon as we arrived there in the school bus, I had this terrible vibe about the place. When you drive in to your right is a small wooded area, taking at least five minutes to run to the end of. 
To your left, though, is a building the size of a small school. It sounds big, but it really isn't. Beside that is a field, and past that is an even bigger forest. The first thing that happened was when me and my best friend, O, were playing a game. Our whole class was joining in. The game was called Predator and Prey. The prey wore green pins and the predators wore blue. The prey is supposed to hide from anything that's not wearing the same color as you. Now, me and O were taking selfies on my phone. We were prey at the time, so we were hiding behind a tree. Another one of our friends named H found us and took us to this hiding spot at the far back of the small forest. This spot was really hard to find if you don't know where you're heading. When we got there, and it was a nice little spot to hide in, a perfect little hideout. It was surrounded by tall grass and wheat, and there was a huge pile of hay that looked like a huge nest. A couple of minutes passed since we made it to the spot. We were beginning to get bored just sitting there and decided to head back. We weren't even sure if the game was still going. The way we came, we see someone in the distance, now still wanting to play the game. We figured they were coming to find us, and we didn't want to lose. So me, H, and O turned the other way to run. But two other friends who had found us, N and E, caught us and told us the game was over. When I asked them who was the person we saw in the distance, N answered, confused. I don't know what you mean. We're the last predators. Everyone else went back. That was definitely odd, especially when I looked back a second later and the figure was gone. It shouldn't have been able to disappear that fast, whoever it was. After this, we were all having our free time outside, exploring, talking, or playing other games. Well, we ended up playing a similar game called Manhunt. I'm hiding in the small forest. I'm in a little row of trees to the left of the forest, just walking and trying to stay covered until I suddenly hear leaves crunching behind me. I jump because it was so sudden it startled me and I thought that I was caught. But when I turned and looked behind me, I was alone. I turn around and start speed walking to get out of there, but the moment I turned away, the leaves began crunching again. Every time I look, there's no one there. After this happening a few times, I'm terrified. I start running, and that's when the crunching sounds speed up, as if whoever or whatever it is following me has started running too. I'm being chased by something that I can't even see. I run until I'm out of the forest. The moment I break the tree line, the crunching footsteps go silent. It was so strange and creepy. A little bit after this, I decided to rejoin the game as it was still going, and I'm beginning to feel better after that event. I begin walking back to the forest when I see someone up ahead of me, someone still wearing a blue pin, even though we weren't playing that game anymore. I suddenly stop, and so does the figure. I remember cocking my head to the side in confusion, and the figure did the same thing. After a few more movements that it shared with me, I realized that this person or figure was just mocking what I did, mirroring my movements perfectly. I turned my head for a moment to see if anyone was around me that I could show this bizarre thing to. Then I turned back and the figure was gone, 
Suddenly, W, a friend of mine, comes walking out of the bushes, and I ask him if that was him. He looks at me funny, saying that he had just been found in the woods, so he was coming back since he was out now. To make things even better, we began to hear what sounded like an old man screaming for his life. It erupted from the middle of the woods. Both W and I got chills, then began to make our way back to the main building. Strange things continued to happen on that field trip the entire time we were there. More noises, black figures at the edge of the woods, more people being in our group when we played than were actually there. Something was hanging out with us when we were out there. Something was toying with us. Or maybe it wanted to play too. It was absolutely eerie. I was happy when we were able to finally go home. Denmark Ghost Story from Anonymous I was raised in a house in a small town in Denmark located in a big forest. I really enjoyed playing in the woods as a kid. We had no neighbors living close to us, so I had to entertain myself growing up. One day while playing in the woods, I was climbing a tree when the branch I was leaning on snapped and I fell to the ground head first. I was out cold for a long time. I'm not sure exactly how long though. When I woke up, the sun was down and everything was dark. I was scared and I immediately knew my parents would be worried. I usually came home long before dark, so I began to head back to my house with a headache. As I stated before, I often played in these woods, so I became quite uncomfortable when I realized that I didn't recognize my surroundings. I was lost. The forest seemed different, and even though I wasn't used to being in the woods after dark, I didn't think I recognized this place at all. It was like I woke up somewhere else entirely. I began to realize that the forest was unusually quiet then. At night here, you'd expect to hear birds or bugs or both, and usually quite a bit of wind. But I heard nothing, not even the sound of leaves or branches crumbling under my feet. I couldn't smell anything either. I enjoyed the scent of the forest immensely, but I couldn't smell a thing. I attributed this to my head injury, making me worry even more about my own health. However, I could feel a constant cold breeze, even though the breeze made no sound of movement through the forest. As the breeze blew over me, I felt a desire to go back to the tree that I had fallen from, but I had no idea why. I kept walking and soon saw a light in the distance. At first it was dim, but as I drew closer, I saw that it was the light from our house. I was overjoyed. I would have run to the house then if it weren't for my aching head, making me feel dizzy. I made it past the tree line and immediately felt another eerie cold sensation rush over my body. I panicked then, ready to just get home. I stumbled as fast as I could to my front door, and when I was just outside it, I heard a noise behind me. The first sound I'd heard the entire time after I woke up. It was coming from the woods that I had just left. I turned, and what I saw horrified me. 
I saw myself standing at the edge of the woods, just 300 feet away from where I was now in front of my door. But that didn't make sense. It couldn't be me. So who or what was it? I felt so disoriented. I was unable to move. I wanted more than anything to turn and run into the house, but I was paralyzed. The other me was staring right at me, and every fiber I had told me to go inside now. I mustered all my strength, but all I could do was lift my left hand slightly. I could not stop gazing towards the other me. It was like I was drawn towards it. I saw that it mirrored what I did, lifting its left hand slightly as well. I felt sick and terrified then, and then it happened. The other me began to walk towards me. It began sprinting right at me even though I still could not move. I could only stand there and watch it get closer to me. It stopped the moment it was about six feet away. It looked exactly like me. It even had a red spot on its forehead, exactly where I'd hit the ground. But there was one major difference. Our eyes. His were black, empty, like it was soulless. Like it was just my body, without anything meaningful inside. It stared at me for a while with its totally empty eyes. I began to tremble then tears running down my face, but no matter how much I wanted to scream or move, I was unable to do so. Then, it sprinted towards me, jamming right into me, and everything turned completely dark. When I came to, I was below the tree that I'd fallen from earlier. There were no sounds and scents just as before, and it was still dark. Luckily, the thing that attacked me was nowhere to be seen, and I could right away see the dim light of my house far away. Flooding with fear, I picked myself up and began running towards the light. When I crossed the tree line, I could see my house in full detail, and when I made it to the door, I reached for the doorknob, but I could not open it. The knob just kept spinning around. Then I heard the sound again. Footsteps. The doorknob turned and the front door opened. I saw my mother, and I was so relieved. I tried walking towards her and in through the threshold, but my body could no longer move. I tried to talk to my mom, but no sound was escaping my mouth. I looked at her, but she did not seem to recognize me. Actually, she didn't seem to notice me at all. Instead, her eyes were scanning the perimeter behind me, beyond me, before she closed the door in my face. I tried opening the door again, but the doorknob kept spinning just as before. I heard my father yell angrily from inside. I couldn't make out the words, but he sounded upset. I felt so confused, so afraid. What was happening to me? My house, my parents, and everything I knew seemed to be in another world, yet so close. I walked over to the window of my own room, hoping that I could climb in through it. When I reached the window and I looked inside, I saw my empty bed with a lot of pictures of me lying in it, and then I saw a candlelight in my room. I'm from Denmark, 
and you only put those kinds of candles in a room if the person who had resided in it was deceased. I felt nauseous. I wanted to throw up. What was happening? Why couldn't I get into my own house? Why did they think I was dead? Why didn't they come looking for me? All of a sudden, I noticed that I couldn't see my own reflection in the glass of the window. I looked tensely into it, desperately looking for my own reflection, when I saw a figure instead. The figure was standing further away than I was, so this wasn't my reflection. Chills running down my back, I turned around to face it. Standing in the tree line was a tall, human-shaped figure with a cloth covering its entire face. The only thing visible were two glowing red eyes. The thing must have been seven feet tall, and it began walking towards me. No, it didn't walk, though. It floated. I ran from it, knowing that whatever that thing was, it wasn't right. I ran for what felt like years, and then I woke up. I was on the ground in the woods again. I turned over, vomiting my guts out on the ground. I picked myself up and began to stumble again, walking towards my house, towards that dim light in the distance. I knew deep down that when I would turn that doorknob, it wouldn't move. But when it did, and the door opened, and my mother hugged me, I wanted to faint then and there, overcome with joy. I don't know what happened to me that day. I want to assume it was just an odd head injury, some hallucinations, maybe a dream, but it was so real. Another part of me thinks that perhaps I died in those woods that day, and my soul or spirit found a timeline where I survived. But what was that tall thing in the woods? It's all so confusing. I'd rather not think about it. A terrifying encounter from Anonymous. Sometime in the beginning of 2018, I considered myself a skeptic at best of anything paranormal. That all changed quickly after my friends and I had an idea of some fun. Now, despite my skepticism, I've still always been interested in the paranormal and occult. So one thing I took interest in was witchcraft, especially pendulums. A pendulum is a stalagmite-like stone that hangs from a metal chain and is supposedly a way of communicating with your spirit guide. You're supposed to have them cleansed though, so you don't end up speaking to something sinister, something that you'd rather not have in your life. Interest in such items had made me a new friend named G. G had been studying the paranormal and witchcraft long before me. G lived in a gated community a few miles south of myself, and this community had a forest within it. It was considered a genuine Native American burial ground. G introduced me to this place as part of an attempt to change my opinion on the paranormal, which gave me an idea. Now also at this time I met a girl on Tinder. She was also very interested in witchcraft her name was B. So B, G, and I all decided to meet up around 10 p.m. one night with all the witchcraft and paranormal-related equipment we had. 
ready to speak to spirits in G's little haunted forest. G and I had another lovely friend named T who we brought along as well. The lot of us met at the local train station, did some introductions and took a little walk. After that, we split up, taking B's car and my van to G's house. We arrived there around midnight and after prepping our equipment, we set off for the short walk to the burial ground. Before entering, B lit up a palm-sized bundle of sage and told us that if the flames enlarge at any time, it means a spirit or entities within a certain proximity of us and we may need to leave it alone. I raised an eyebrow at this, but I was all the more curious. Not even 10 minutes into the walk, the little bundle of sage practically torched itself within seconds. We all stopped right there when B told us frantically, that's, that's a demon. Now G was a little bit of the cowardly type, so he grabbed T out of instinctive fear, while B and I glanced at each other and slowly backtracked toward the forest exit, G and T behind us. We didn't want to cut our journey short though, so we went the other way in hopes of something less intimidating occurring. B proposed that we approach this in a more cautious manner, placing her at the front of the group and myself in the back, as I was considered the more capable one at the moment, being lightly armed, and could keep a lookout for us. Another few minutes into this journey, G proposed we stop and talk so he could try to ease himself of the anxiousness he claimed to be feeling. As he was ranting about whatever it was he felt was wrong, I glanced back where we came from and noticed a short, child-sized figure that was darker than the shadows cast by the trees, standing not ten feet from me. My immediate reaction was to blink rapidly and squint, thinking that the shadows were being altered by the wind. This wasn't the case, as I continued to stare at it while it stared back at me. I'm not much of one for spastic reactions, so I calmly turned around, abruptly interrupting the group's conversation and informing them of what I just saw. B told me to take out my pendulum immediately and speak to it. Reluctantly, I did so. As the pendulum does not utter words, only yes and no based on a certain motion attuned to the user, I asked this entity if it was displeased with us for being here. It seemed to say yes. B told me to ask it if it would like us to leave, and despite me being the user and B simply relaying the question, it spun in a rapid circle, signaling another and more aggressive yes. We all simultaneously began rapidly walking back to the exit, not wanting to be harmed by whatever this thing was. Unsatisfied with the events, we discussed what we might do next in order to satiate our curiosity. I remained in the back of the group, feeling that something wasn't right, occasionally glancing back at the forest as if it were a necessity. When we were roughly 200 yards away, I took another look behind us and froze. I noticed a bright orange light that was similar to the light of the sun rising over trees in the earliest of the morning. Considering it was just past 1am, that would be impossible. I strained my eyes in an attempt to make sense of what I was looking at while informing the group about it. They stopped as well and looked with me. Puzzled sounds came from their mouths. By the time I realized what it was, it was nearly too late. 
It was the same entity I alone spotted before, running full sprint at us at an impossible speed, except it was increasing in size as it got closer, reaching around eight or nine feet by the time it was 15 yards from us. My immediate reaction was to scream run and bolt past everyone else, not wanting to be grabbed by this phantom monstrosity. G began crying while him, T, and B quickly attempted to sprint away from what would most likely be our end. We did not stop running until we got to G's house and decided we had enough for the night. This encounter definitely changed my feelings and opinion on the paranormal, and I've got a newfound respect for the entities that inhabit it. The Unknown Intruder from Anonymous. I was home alone at my dad's house. I hated staying there on my own. My dad had gone to the train station to pick someone up, and so I had to stay on my own for the next two hours. Considering the time was around 10 p.m. and halfway through November, it was already well into the night and very cold. As staying alone in this house out in the woods always creeped me out, I turned on a movie to take my mind off of things. Now, we had these two sheds in the garden, both of which were ancient, but I would always hear noises at night. Loud bangs, scraping sounds, and other mysterious noises, always coming from those sheds or the garden, but I tried not to dwell on it. Everything was fine that night until I heard a loud bang come from outside. It sounded like it was coming from one of the sheds. I slowly and quietly crawled from the living room to a window, viewing the back garden, and my stomach dropped. I could see a tall, dark shadow standing in front of the forest, looking around and slowly walking towards our house. I hid for a minute, but every second that passed felt more like an hour, my heart racing. Eventually, I peeked out at one of the windows down the hallway and saw the all-too-tall figure peering inside. It saw me looking at it, then darted away off the property. I stayed hidden for a bit longer, but I heard nothing else. I never saw the figure again, and I'm glad, but I'm even more terrified of staying home alone anymore. Ghostly Warning from Chain Gang 357. When I was a child at about seven years old, I was living in a small town called Wilkeson in Washington State. We lived on the outskirts in a decent-sized neighborhood surrounded by woods. Being close to Mount Rainier, it was quite rural. I lived in a two-story house with my window facing the driveway and front yard. In my room, I just got a bunk bed and thought it was the coolest thing because I could see out my window while I was in bed. About a week after I got the bunk bed, I woke up in the middle of the night having to use the bathroom. As I made my way to the ladder, I looked out my window and saw two people outside on the lawn. I climbed down and I jumped on the cabinet that was in front of the window for a better look at the people. As I looked out, I saw two women standing at the edge of my driveway, staring at my lawn and talking to each other. The weird thing was, where they were pointing was where my black lab liked to lay down, 
I knocked on my window trying to get their attention and find out what they wanted. In unison, they slowly turned their heads and looked at me. Their faces were gray-white and blank of any expression. I realized then that their clothes were weird, like something people would wear a long time ago, and they didn't have any color on them either. I jumped down from the cabinet and I saw them turn their heads back and stare at the same spot. I woke up my mother and told her about the people in our driveway. We were outside in a couple of minutes, and by then the ladies were gone with no trace of them at all. Fast forward three weeks, I woke up again in the middle of the night. Now since that first night I saw those women, I had dreaded getting up to go to the bathroom, but every time I was relieved when I didn't see them. One night, however, I got up and I saw them again. I climbed up on the cabinet and this time they were already looking right at me. Both of their faces were different this time. Their eyes were solid black and they were both frowning. In unison, they lifted up their arms and pointed at my lawn. There in the lawn was my lab. He was sleeping. My dad had let him out when he left for work. I ran and got my mom and told her about the ladies and my dog. We went downstairs and opened the front door. My dog had just started barking when we walked out on the front porch. The ladies were already gone again, but this time a guy was running at my lab with a stick trying to hit him. When he saw us, he turned away and ran. After that day, we made sure my dad didn't let my dog out, and I never saw the ladies again. It may have been scary to see those ladies, but maybe, just maybe, they were actually looking out for my dog. So you like that cheap, big house out in the woods that somehow has all the internet hookups you need? Well, don't bother. By now you should know that moving into a house in the middle of the woods, you're gonna get haunted. Then again, if you want to be terrorized by ghosts every day, then be my guests. Just remember, all these woods are haunted. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode of Darkness Prevails, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you want your story narrated, share it with us at darkstories.org. And if you want to support the show, check the links below. There's a link to my Patreon if you'd like to donate. And there's a link to get some of my creepy merchandise. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous video about 10 mysterious creatures seen in Europe. Kautuku Bakidoro says, Oh yes, the Brits are very weird. Hey, be nice, or you won't be getting any tea and biscuits. And I love biscuits. Thomas Darrowin says, I once saw a creature in Europe. His name is Michael. Thomas, I'm gonna pray for you. And I guess I should pray for Michael too if you think he's a creature. This comment, Lord oh Lord. Goff Daily says, Stories like these are hit or myth. Well, I hope you're proud, Goff because you just guaranteed the apocalypse. It's coming, friends. It's coming. And you can thank Goff. Delirious Pug says, Pugs are gods. Yeah, I love pugs, but I don't know what that has to do with the Monsters in Europe video. But yeah, pugs are pretty great. And Alex Ortiz says, Thanks for your hard work. Keep it up. 
You got me coming back every time, because I like it while I do deliveries for Domino's. Thanks, Alex. I really just think Domino's is okay. That's some really regular pizza right there. For real though, I'd really like to do some more delivery stories, because pizza delivery can be daunting and scary. Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. But don't you worry, because more scary stories are coming soon, so stay tuned. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate. They're sexy people. Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy, because this world is a strange one. <laughs>